The Continental Divide runs along the peaks of mountains in our part of the world. It's the Rocky Mountains, the very peaks. And it's that hydrological place where the continent is divided. In other words, water that falls on this side goes into the Gulf of Mexico and the Atlantic Ocean. Water that falls on that side goes into the Pacific Ocean. It's that divide. I'm told that a man, I think in the state of Montana, because that divide goes through five different states. I think it was Montana. He purposely built his house right on the continental divide. And with that peaked roof, literally when the rain would come, one drop of water would go in the Pacific and one drop of water would end up in the Atlantic. A decisive moment geologically. An amazing thing. Today, we're going to look at the kingdom of God. Is that a big enough topic for everybody? And we're going to discover whether you and I are in the kingdom or where you and I are not in the kingdom. Because people always ask, how do I know I'm a Christian? How do I know I'm saved? How do I know that I am okay forever now and throughout eternity? And the bottom line is, are you in the kingdom? Or are you out of the kingdom? Jesus came, according to Matthew, his first words of utterance were simply, repent, for the kingdom has come. And his whole message from God as God himself was a word of the kingdom has come. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven are virtually interchangeable in the scripture. The kingdom of God is where God the Father rules as king, as Lord. And in the kingdom of God, there is the body of the church, and the church is the place where Jesus is Lord. And therefore, the kingdom of God does not grow. The church grows within the kingdom because as Christians, we are a part of the body of Christ that is the church, and we're within the kingdom of God. Now, how do you know? How do I know that? Jesus came and early in his ministry, he delivered that immortal truths about the kingdom in Matthew 5, 6, 7. I'm sure he repeated it many times. That is the famous, well-known sermon on the mount. What is that? It's simply Jesus saying, if you are in the kingdom and a kingdom person, this is how you are then to live. Have you read it lately? Do you know generally what it says? 
A lot of people look at Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and they say quite honestly, this must be for heaven. This is the way heaven operates. Are we supposed to operate like this? And Jesus gives those profound truths, bang, bang, five, six, seven, and when you get through, you say, wow. You mean as a Christian, these are the, ex the ethics, the formula by which I am to live out my life? The answer to that is yes. These are kingdom principles. Now, here's the catch to that. You can't even begin to live the kingdom of God life unless Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior of your life and the Holy Spirit is operating in your life and my life, enabling us through discipline, through prayer, through study to begin to demonstrate somebody who is indeed a son or a daughter of God, and in this earth, but living now in the kingdom of God. What do we pray? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, that's the kingdom of God, on earth as it is in heaven. One day that will be complete and perfect, but in the meantime, we have to ask the question that Jesus answered there in Matthew chapter 7. Am I in the kingdom or I'm out of the kingdom? It's just as decisive as you can determine if this drop of water ends in the Atlantic or the Pacific. It's just that clear and just that clean. And then he comes to the end of the sermon in Matthew chapter number seven, and he sort of states it very clearly, very plainly, so that everybody then and now can understand kingdom principles, kingdom lifestyles. And he uses three parables, three little parables. Remember what a parable is because we're studying the parables. The parable is certainly an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, with heavenly ramifications, but it's much more than that. Parabole is the word. Literate means to lay down beside something. In other words, to put it in our language, in parable, God just throws down on you. you. Know what that means? It means God just says, this, this is it. Don't miss this. He just throws down. And in these three little parables, right at the end of the sermon, he throws down on us where we can clearly know if we go in the Atlantic or the Pacific and know whether or not we're citizens of the kingdom or we're not citizens of the kingdom. You can't miss it, and he tells it in a very simple, simple way. So, open your Bible. Don't have your Bible with you? You forgot it? Look in the pew right there. Find the Gospel of Matthew. And by the way, in Matthew, you have parables used 48 times. In Hebrews, you have parables by name used two other times. But there are parables all the way through the Bible that wake us up. There are stories that we remember with application. And here we have these three little vignettes, and God says, 
You know what this is, and this is the opposite of that. And he says, you can go this way, or you can go that way. And the end, the introduction to the parables, these parables in, in Matthew 7, guess what? It's the golden rule. <laughs> How about that? Finally, we got something we know. We do not apply it very well, but we know it. Do unto others as you'd have them to do unto you. Now, that's, that's simple enough. We understand that. And to say it another way is that Whatever you need, does anybody here need anything? We'd, all of our hands would go up if we were honest, right? We all need different things. Whatever you need, that is what you give. Hello, that's the golden rule. You got it? If I need somebody to listen to me, I'll listen to somebody. If I need healing, I pray for the healing of someone else. If I need a help in my family, I pray for other families. If I have a vocational problem, I try to find somebody else who may have a problem and try to help them. You see what happens? It's the bread on water principle. You know that one? You throw your bread on the water and say it's gone. That bread hits taken out to sea, but that bread comes back, says Jesus, and it comes back buttered. Whatever you need, anybody need anything? That's what you give. For years in this church, we'd run out of money in the summer. I mean, you know, people were gone and the offerings were low and man, I don't know how we're gonna pay our bills. And Pastor Max will tell you, every time that happens, I go and say, Lee, there's a lot of charities here, a lot of hurting things right around us. Let's go and give some big bucks to them. Let's give almost what we have to those who are in need. We've done that as a church, not put publicity about it. I'm telling you a little inside secret. And you know, we end up the summer in the black. <laughs> Whatever you need, that's what you give. And then following this, Jesus lays on us these two little parables that tells us whether or not we're in the kingdom. Verse number 13, it, Jesus says, enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. Make it ring a bell? Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are many who find it. There we have the two absolutes. We either go in the broad gate, everybody's going in, it leads ultimately to destruction, though it looks so appealing on the outside. Or we go in the narrow gate, that is so narrow, narrow. But on the inside, it gets broader and broader. Do you get the principle? Now, why is it that so many of us do not go through the narrow gate? It's because we look at some people who think they are walking the narrow path, and they're so prideful, 
They're so better. They're so superior. They, they've sort of got it together, and boy, but they're very walking that narrow gauge. Narrow people, real narrow people, are not people we really love to spend a lot of time with. Have you noticed that? Because you feel judged, you feel inadequate, and it expresses itself in so many ways. So narrow people, many ways, are narrow in how they follow Christ and narrow in their thinking about the world. And the broad gate, you know, a lot of people going through there. So I thought about this, as you know, on the narrow gate, we need to put up a sign. Jesus says in the narrow gate, there is privilege and joy, and, but go through the narrow, outside the narrow gate, it would say, oh, probably sorry, sorrow, and death. So in the narrow gate, there's a sign displaying sorrow and death. Not too appealing, is it? Sorrow and death. Boy, in the broad gate, it says fun and freedom. Which gate are you interested in? Man, sorrow and death, fun and freedom. Hey, the Bible says a lot of people go through the broad gate, don't we? Fun and freedom. I can run my own life. I can express fun and pleasure any way I want to express it. Isn't that the way to live? That's the 21st century. That's the United States. We have that privilege. That's certainly Houston, Texas. Fun and freedom. Anybody doesn't like that? But Jesus says, when I run my own life and make my own choices and I am free to do anything I want to do, that's just fun. And the narrow gate over here, sorrow <laughs> and death, that doesn't have a lot of appeal to us, does it? Anybody, I'm interested in being sorry and being in death. But you see, Jesus sees the long range. He sees all the way through life now and life forever. He says the way to go is through the narrow gate. The narrow gate, I'd have to get rid of some of the stuff that I think is so important to me, right? I care around, you care around, identity, position, whatever, friendship. Oh, that made to get rid of it because it's a tight squeeze through the turnstile. I mean, you know, and we've got a lot of weight on us, the human weight. But to go through that gate, you have to be sorry for your sin, confess it. You have to die to self and live to God. Sorrow and death to get through that gate. Over here, it's easy. Man, I want fun and freedom. It's a broad gate. I can go right in just the way I am, live my life just the way I want it to be, right? But see, Jesus is drawing a line on the continental divide between life now and life forever because here's the kicker, folks. Don't miss this. This is the kicker. 
you go through this narrow gate, confess sin, die to self, live for God, and we walk not in a narrow path in this life, but it gets broader and broader and broader and broader, and we look back because we walk through this narrow gate. We look back and see on the other side of that sign that said death and sorrow, now we see fun and freedom. Oh, yes. Anybody who does not live a disciplined life is bound for pain. Anybody who walks a narrow path ends up with a broad, broad way of fun and freedom. That's the Christian life. And we see it on the other side. Now, let us go through this other gate that I have moved from one side of the platform to the other. And now we go through the broad gate. Man, I want fun and freedom. And as I have fun and freedom, the path gets narrower and narrower. And I look back. And on this side, it says sorrow and death. Sorrow and death. You see, in a disciplined life, going through the narrow gate, living with godly principles, it erupts into fun and freedom. I, don't, I can't tell you anybody, I just know myself, who has more fun and freedom because I walked through that narrow gate. And I know thousands of people like that. And I know thousands of other people. And they've gone through the broad gate and their family's gone with them, their friends has gone with them. And in time, I can tell you, there's going to be sorrow and there's going to be death. That's the way God puts it, ladies and gentlemen. We either go through the narrow gate, receive him, sorry for sin, confess sin, die to self, live for God, and all of a sudden it erupts into a life now and forever filled with Contemporary words, they're bigger theological words, fun and freedom forever and eternity. Now, have you gone through the narrow gate? Sorrow, confession, death to self, God, Christ, the sin of your life. That's the first thing Jesus asked. He said, here are two gates. If you've gone through the narrow gate, you're a kingdom person. You've gone through the broad gate, you're not a kingdom person. It's just that simple. First parable. He said, hmm, I didn't know that we we're going to be thrown down on like this. God's doing it. Christ is doing it through his book. Then look at the next part. There are two gates, and there are also now two trees, but it's a long passage, verse 15. Jesus said, beware the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. Not going too fast for anybody, am I? I know we're not all in the agricultural business. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Whoop, scary, verse 19. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down 
and thrown in the fire. Therefore, Jesus says, by their fruits, you shall know them. What kind of tree are you? What kind of tree am I? In the Bible, there are two kinds of fruit. There is the fruit of the Spirit, and there is the gifts of the Spirit. The gifts of the Spirit are those who may have the ability to teach or preach, to sing, to administrate, to usher, to help people, to serve, to do a multiplicity of things. These are all the, the gifts of the Spirit, the talents of the church. And Jesus talks about them here in the next verses. He says, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Lord, we can have these gifts, these spiritual gifts, and he named some of them. Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Prophesied means to preach or teach usually, not foretell, but to tell forth. And have I not done many wonders in your name? Have I not cast out demons? And he says, I will declare to them, I never you, you, you depart from me, for you practice lawlessness. In other words, ladies and gentlemen, this is the scary part of Scripture. Listen carefully. You can believe in Christmas, Jesus is God wrapped up in human flesh. You can believe in all the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount. You think, well, that's really true. You can believe in the death, the crucifixion of Christ. You can believe in his resurrection. You can believe in his second coming. And you can preach and teach and read and study and do all of these things and call him Lord, Lord, and not be a part of his kingdom. Whew. I hope that frightens a lot of us. That is using gifts he's given. If you and I are part of his kingdom, we may be given these gifts and we can use them, but also in our lives, we have the fruit of the Spirit. So we could stand up somebody here today. I don't want to embarrass anybody. I may do it. Just have you stand here and we'll take a test. I'd like to stand up. I've stood up before the fruit all week long. I do it regularly. It's embarrassing. It's, 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 it leads you to prayer. It leads you to praise. It leads you to confession. What are the fruits of the Spirit? Love. Do you genuinely love without any other motivation? Love. Joy. Do you have joy? When you come into a room, does it feel like somebody has come in or somebody's left? <laughs> Is there joy in your life? My glory. Love, joy, peace. Is there peace in your life? Contentment. Rhythm, love, joy, patience. Man, I've prayed for patience a long time. God has given me a lot of reasons to be patient, and I'm much better today, and I'm still growing in my patience. Love, joy, peace, patience in your life. Kindness. Are you a kind person? No, I, I, no. are you a kind person? Love, joy, peace, patience. Kindness, goodness. Would somebody say, you know, that, there's a good, that, she's a good lady. That, that's a good person. You can count on them to do good. Are you good? 
Are you faithful? Can you be counted on? I'll be there. I'll do that. I'm a faithful friend, a faithful follower, a faithful. Are you faithful? And then we look and say, well, are you gentle? Are you a gentle person? Just, I know big guys, big, tough guys, but they're so gentle and sweet. It's just beautiful to see. And, and I know some little ladies that are not too gentle. <laughs> it, it, you know, but this is a fruit. Are you gentle? And then finally, are you disciplined? Without a disciplined life, nobody's going to get anywhere, anytime, anyplace. We got to model it before our kids. We have to live it out ourselves. There are the eight fruit of the Spirit, and that gives indication that we know Jesus Christ who embodied that fruit and gave us the ability to have that fruit hanging from your life and my life. Therefore, we are a tree planted by the rivers of water, planted in God, in Jesus Christ, and therefore you see the fruit of the Spirit coming from your life and my life. If there's no fruit, what did Jesus say? Cut the tree down. Somebody said, pray for the healing, and they named someone, and I know them, and they're a godless, mean person. And I wanted to say, why? Why? Just breathing air, getting up, going to bed, having all the pleasure we can, loving our family and our children, and the way we get along, we go along, we want to be happy. Let me tell you something, folks. You're just wasting air and food and breath unless you are in this life beginning to do things and make a difference in enterprises that will last forever. Fruit. Jesus said about the fig tree, had he figs on that tree? No. He said, well, cut it down. Because that fig tree was shadowing all the other vines and things in the garden that would be beneficial to people. But just to be there and take air and nutrients from the gardener and rain, cut that fig tree down, it's there to bear fruit. Ladies and gentlemen, you are here right now, whatever your age, your status, for the purposes of God. Jesus said a tree doesn't bear fruit. Cut it out. That frightens me. That frightens me. So we have these parables here. The parables. And then finally we see the last illustration, parable, whether or not we're in the kingdom. Jesus said, verse 24, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house and it did not fall for it was founded on the rock. Now, everyone who hears these sayings of mine, said Jesus, and does not do them is like a a fool, a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it fell. And great was its fall. 
There we have it. Two gates, narrow broad. Which one did you go through? Which one are you going through? Two trees, one barren, just for myself, I mean my mind, or one with good fruit. And part of that fruit has been expressed in your life. Or have you built your house, your life on sand? Those who built their house on sand, their life on sand, when the rains come, when SOS comes, when 911 is called, when the bad report comes in, when you are forsaken by friends or family, and when you are in a place that leads shame and disgrace to you and yours, you're broken, you're bleeding. If you built your house on sand, that house will go clumbering down. It'll be destroyed. It'll be eliminated, right? That's what happened in Israel. They built a house on the sand that had not any water in here for years and years and years. When the floods came, they were gone. We don't have to go but about a block from here, and I'll show you an illustration of that, right? The thousand-year flood plain, what happened to those houses? Some of you lived in them. You thought it was rock, but it was sand. When the floods, when the rains, when the warm came, whew, bam. Jesus saying, your life and my life is like that. Unless we build on the rock, on the rock. You know, I read this. Being sort of juvenile, I thought about the three little pigs. <laughs> All of them know the story of the three little pigs. Oh, yeah, their mother ran them out and said, you got to live to yourself. You can't stand on my roof any longer. First little pig went out and there was a beautiful plain there. He got to the edge of the plain. He said, I'm going to build a house out of what? Do you remember? Straw. And he built this straw house. <laughs> Real quick. Boy, it was Sunday. He got in the straw house, went to sleep. Man, this is great. I've got my house. The next little pig, his brother, went out. He didn't go much further. He said, I'm going to build a house. I'm tired of this son. He built out of sticks. Better house. And he was dancing. Man, he could dance. Man, he was building a house out of sticks. He danced around. He said, man, this, this is great. The third little pig, what did he do? He took a long time. He made brick. And he put down a foundation. And he put that brick together very carefully. He built that brick house at the end. You know the story. The big bad wolf came. And by the way, wherever you have built your house, your life, the wolf will come. Oh, yeah, just, 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 that's, that's just a broad, general, true truth, right? Different forms, different kinds, the wolf will come. And the wolf came, the first house, straw house. He said, come out. I want to have pork <laughs> for supper. And the little pig said, not by the hair of my chinny-chin tin, if I remember right, the wolf said, if you don't, I'm going to huff, I'm going to puff, I'm going to blow your house in. And the straw house went down, and a little piglet ran out to his brother's house in the straw, in the stick house. Same thing. If you don't come out, blow your house down, huff and puff and blow your house down, not by the hair of your chinny chin, the stick house. And the two brothers ran to the, the brother that had built a brick house with a good foundation. 
And he runs in there, and the wolf comes. Oh, if you don't come out, I'm going to blow your house down. They said, not by the hair of my chinny-chin-chin. And he huffed and puffed and huffed and puffed and huffed and puffed and huffed and puffed. And the brick house stood because it was on a brick foundation. It was built on a rock. Now, a lot of times the children's stories start there, but there is an extended version that's older, and they took it out because they didn't want to scare the little kids when they heard it. The truth was, the pig that built the rock house on the firm foundation, he also built a chimney and had fire in the chimney. And the wolf decided he would go down the chimney and get in the house and get the pigs. And he fell into a boiling pot and they had wolf for supper. <laughs> Interestingly, very interestingly, that story is happening all the time, but the problem is the wolf doesn't come in your house and my house. He comes in through wires, through little things we hold in our stand, the things we sit down at and turn on and flip the lid open. He comes in through the air, the wolf, wanting to consume what we read, what we see, what we hear, how we think 24-7 in your day and my day. And when we consume his evil products, you can be sure unless we have a firm foundation and able to throw all the evil out and eliminate it, we too will see our house blown down. Now, this is a choice. Built your life on Jesus Christ. We've been singing about it magnificently all day. On Christ the solid rock I stand. No, all other ground is seeking stand. The stand is Jesus. The priority is Jesus. The principles are Jesus. How we live is Jesus. And he tells us exactly how we can do that, empowered by the Spirit in the Sermon on the Mount. And then he throws down on us and says, do you have that kind of foundation in your life, in your house? Do you have, are you producing fruit in your life that will last and be meaningful to people and to God forever? What is the status? Tribulation is going to come. What does it mean? Corey Ken Boone. Both of you know that name. The book, The Hiding Place, Jeanette Cliff George played that in a movie. Remember my church at the time? It's a story of a woman in, in, in Holland. Her family would hide the Jews who were under the sentence of being executed by the Nazis, the effort to wipe out all the Jews in that generation. And you know, six or seven million Jews were eliminated from this earth, put in those furnaces and in various concentrations, Cal, Dachau, Raven's Book, the rest of them. Also, that many Christians were also in those death chambers. Corey was hiding Jews, and they discovered that the Boom family was hiding Jews, and they took the Jews, and they took all of her family and threw them in Raven's Book. 
And systematically, her sister was killed. I think her father, all of her friends and family, she was the only one left. She stayed there those years, but right before the end of the Second World War, she didn't know why. They gave her a release, and they opened the gate of Ravensbrook, and she walked out into her freedom. Amazing, amazing. And for 32 years, Corey traveled America and the world telling the story of God's grace, introducing people to Christ, Amazing life, amazing life. 32 years, she traveled everywhere. She even met on one occasion the guard who'd been so vicious and mean and evil to her and exploited and abused her and so many. She met him and he came forward with tears and said, I've come to Christ. I've got forgiven for all the evil in my life, but can you forgive me, Corey? She said the hardest thing she did was to forgive him, and she really did. She said, we embraced. What a woman. I got a chance to know her. She would stay periods of time with Cliff Barras, who was in my church, led the music for Billy Graham. And I would go up there and talk with Cora. I've sat on the side of a mountain and cried with her, prayed with her, laughed with her, teased her many times. She would speak in my church and tell her story, powerful, powerful, beautiful story. She did it with a smile, man. She was a radiant gal. I mean, she was a fabulous gal. For 32 years, she traveled. She never had an apartment or a room or a home or anywhere for on herself. She had nothing. She had her suitcase, period. That was it. Never a place. But when she was 85 years old, A man gave her a house in California. The first place she ever had to call her own, the first place she had a place to go and live, that little house in California. And one day a lady went up to her and said, Corey, isn't God good to give you this lovely house? She said, yes, but he was also good in Ravensbrook. Go through Ravensbrooks. And God is good in the middle of your Ravensbrook and my Ravensbrook. Because somehow in all that, his will is being done. And we don't understand it. We may never understand this life. But we go through those Ravensbrooks. What's happening when you're in your Ravensbrook? You may be in a Ravensbrook right now. What's going on? little girl in her room by herself, had been in the room for herself any, any time before in her life, and a storm came, a rain came, winds came, thunder, lightning, and she was just frightened, stayed in the covers, didn't sleep much, much of the night. She got up the next morning, and she ran down to breakfast. She looked at her daddy and said, Daddy, where was God in the middle of that storm. And she said, oh, I know, Daddy, what you're going to say. God was busy making a morning. Where is God? In all of our Ravensbrooks, ladies and gentlemen, I'll tell you, he's busy 
making. 